your congregation, let us turn in God's Word to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. We'll read uh, verses 1 through uh, 20, 27. Let us hear God's Word. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, king of the magicians, the chief of the magi- ma- magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, And no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree. And cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man, and let him be given a heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Give it to whomever he will, and set it over Over it, the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom 
are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished, and for a time and in his thoughts and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely, its, a, its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reached to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with dew, with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. My dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we turn the pages from Daniel chapter 3 to Daniel chapter 4, we recognize that potentially about 25 years have come in between them. And we know that also from Babylonian writings that King Nebuchadnezzar even had a period of illness uh, that was close to the end of his reign. And that would fit into the interpretation and also the implications of the dream that he dreams in Daniel chapter 4. And obviously, if we think back, we remember Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 4 together, we find a connection, don't we? A connection that we, both chapters have dreams in them, and disturbing dreams at that. And these dreams are sending a message to both Nebuchadnezzar and to Daniel and all those who, who know about it, and also to us today through the Word of God. And this is the message. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, that there is a God in heaven who gives dreams 
and who gives his servant Daniel wisdom and understanding to know these dreams and interpret these dreams and to relate that the kingdom of God and his sovereignty and his rule, that he indeed has power over all the kingdoms of this earth. And we have this same theme building also in chapter 4. The theme builds to there is a God in heaven who rules. In other words, heaven rules. This is stated at least three times, both in the dream, the interpretation of the dream, and also as King Nebuchadnezzar is humbled in the rest of this chapter. I'd like to just read that for you. And first of all, in verse 17, this is a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. And in verse 24, 25, in the interpretation that he will be driven as the, uh, to be a beast of the field. And, and this will be until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. And verse 26 He says these words, And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Heaven rules. And I want to look at this with the theme, God graciously reveals that indeed heaven rules. Heaven rules. And we'll see that with three thoughts. We'll see how He reveals this through Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, secondly, through his dream, and thirdly, through Daniel's interpretation. God graciously graciously reveals that heaven rules through Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. In verse 1, we read, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And here what we find here is is Nebuchadnezzar making a a statement to the whole earth, to all his kingdom, to to the uttermost parts of his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar is making this statement to all people. Imagine if this was a world leader today and you heard these words, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the sign Signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. Could you imagine if that would be a world leader today making that statement to the whole world? Now, we don't know if Nebuchadnezzar wrote this whole testimony himself of chapter 4. Obviously, some parts of it are in the first person where he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and, and this is signed, as it were, by Nebuchadnezzar himself. So even if parts of it were also co-authored by Daniel or someone else, uh, we don't know 100%. But, but what we do recognize is that most of this is in the first person. So, in other words, he's saying, I, Nebuchadnezzar, in verses 1 through 18, and also in verses 34 through 37. And these are the verses that 
proclaim that the Most High God reigns over all the earth, over all the kingdoms of men. Nebuchadnezzar is coming to this grip of the reality that God indeed reigns over all. The only part that's shown in in the third person, which would be possibly Daniel writing it and adding to it, or either writing part of this letter, is the interpretation of the dream and the very historical account of the humiliation of King Nebuchadnezzar. But what we do find is at the beginning of this chapter, there's, there's this announcement of, and the praise of God. And then we understand how this came about, how these signs and wonders came about. And at the end of the chapter again, it ends with announcement and praise. Well, what makes this testimony so amazing and gracious is that we, we didn't just start learning about Nebuchadnezzar, did we? We've learned a lot about Nebuchadnezzar already. And Nebuchadnezzar, um, in the first three chapters, we, we know of his great power and, 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 and all of his, his brilliance and leadership, but we also know about his, his, his big ego, how he liked to strut his stuff, and, and how he uh, performed brutal acts for those who would not come alongside him. We think about how, how he made... The, the image of himself and called them to bow down to it. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, failed to do so, then he, he had a burning, fiery furnace. He did seven times the normal temperature in order, in order to kill them. We, he, we saw him killing his wise men for not being able to interpret his dream. We saw a vicious, brutal tyrant. And now... Here is this testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar to the whole world. I want to tell you about the signs and wonders of the Most High God. He makes a decree from His throne that God is God and His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And His dominion is from generation unto generation. This is... This is not something you would expect. This is God graciously intervening in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. This is God turning Nebuchadnezzar's life, his world, and his kingdom upside down. And here he comes with this letter. We might, we might think of it today. And I, I miss this about, about the U.S. They always had State of the Union addresses uh, every, every year. And, and in, they still have them, obviously. But uh, in the U.S., you, you often would listen to these State of the Union address, especially when there would be someone new in leadership or something dramatic would happen in uh, a period of time. And, and you would look and listen for what, what direction the leadership of, this, of the land was hoping to take you. And, and here, Nebuchadnezzar, after, after being so greatly humbled through the signs and wonders of God that we're going to hear about in, in the weeks, uh, week to come as well. That Nebuchadnezzar here stands in the state of his kingdom address, and instead of talking about himself, how he has risen from the ashes of his humiliation, he stands there and he praises God, the King of kings, the one who is over all kingdoms of men. This is... Amazing. 
And it's a gracious work of God. Listen to what he says again in verse 2. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked in me. This was these signs where he is, he's speaking here of a miraculous event. Is he thinking about Daniel chapter 2 when, when, when Daniel was able to know his dream and the interpretation of it? No, that's not what he's focused on. Was he focused on how, how it was so amazing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were saved from the fiery furnace 20-some years ago? That's not what he's focused on. Something else had happened. Something else had happened that was far more dramatic and even more miraculous. Wonders have taken place. Wonders that had wonderful effects on him. And he's basically saying, God has worked in my life and he has done miraculous things and they have affected me with profound wonder. He is the king of all the kingdoms of this world. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is a personal testimony of the miraculous work of God in his life. And in his state of his kingdom address, he gives all the credit to God. What makes such a difference? It's God himself. We know from Proverbs 21 verse 1 that the heart of the king's are in the hand of God. He turns them like the rivers of water into whatever direction he would want. It's all to the praise of God's sovereignty. Oh, what encouragement that is for us today. Especially when we look around the world and we see kingdoms and nations trying to rise in their own strength and strut their own stuff and and think that they're gods of all to know that God is in control of it all. It ought to move us to prayer and faithful witnessing of who God is. God brings the most powerful man in the whole world at the time of Nebuchadnezzar, and he brings him unto this point. This point of a proud man becoming nothing but a beast before God. And Nebuchadnezzar will tell us what brought him to this point. And he does so as he begins to tell us in his dream. That's what we see. Secondly, that God graciously reveals that heaven rules through Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar had another very troubling dream here. That's how it all began. He's in trouble. He's in his bedroom again. In trouble in his bedroom. The safest place for a king to be would be in his bedroom. He would be deep within the castle, protected by security and protected by guards. And, and here in this most secure place, King Nebuchadnezzar is troubled again, shaking in his boots. He's shaking. Notice in, in, in verse, verse 4 that, that, that even though his, his kingdom has rest and he's safely in his royal palace and he's flourishing there, that he has a real problem. This dream that God has given him again. It's as if God breaks down his bedroom door, demolishes the security guards, and troubles Nebuchadnezzar so greatly. So greatly. 
that he's shaking with fear. Nebuchadnezzar had been impressed by the Most High God many times, as we saw already in the first three chapters. He had been impressed. But now Nebuchadnezzar even needs a greater miracle, and he'll acknowledge that. He needs, he needs God to, to radically change him, because he has still not changed. He's acknowledging that here in these verses. And, and we need to recognize that as well, don't we? That so often we live, as it were, right beside the train tracks. You know, people who live by the train tracks for 25, 30 years, they don't even hear them anymore. But you might go visit their house and you might be sitting in their living room and the china is shaking in their buffets as the train goes by. And you're like, Wow, how do you ever get used to this? And they don't even hear it anymore. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He saw several times through God's providences or heard many times from Daniel and it's not phasing him. God has to do something dramatic. But what about you and me? We who week after week hear sermon after sermon Open devotional after devotional. Open the Word of God again and again and again. It's like sitting by the train tracks and we don't, even, we don't even recognize it anymore. We don't recognize the power of it. We don't recognize and understand the power of our God and the greatness of our God. We get used to it. and We don't even know how terrible and how blind and how corrupt our hearts are anymore. We hear about it and hear about it. We don't even understand what the definition of sin is anymore. Because we hear sin, sin, sin all so many times and yeah, yeah, we just sin. And we need some kind of dramatic shake-up and miracle also in our life. More than seeing three men now accompanied by another man in a burning, fiery furnace. You would say, well, if I was Nebuchadnezzar and I saw that, I, I would certainly believe. Would you? If you saw the Lord Jesus Christ himself rise out of the grave, ascend into heaven, would you then believe? Would then that radically change your life forever? You say, oh, certainly, Pastor. That If I would have seen it with my own eyes, I would surely have believed and would surely believe today. Peter says, we have a more sure word of testimony even than the eyewitnesses had. We have the very word of God and we hear it and hear it and see it and see it. But do we believe it? And do we live it? This is where Nebuchadnezzar is. He's got a problem and God has punched into his bedroom and shaken him up by this dream. That's what we need as well. And as he wakes up, he's terribly troubled. And he brings in the wise men of the Babylon, come in, the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and none of them can even interpret it. Maybe they don't even want to because they probably know that this interpretation is not going to be good, so 
They don't want to actually take the risk of even interpreting it. But here, Nebuchadnezzar is showing something about himself again. He doesn't call in Daniel here. He doesn't call in Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego here. Not that we read of anyway. He would rather turn to the Chaldeans and the sorcerers and, and those who would be soothsayers. Good sayings. They would tell him good things. Just like people today will turn to horoscopes and, and people who might practice witchcraft or, or other things or turn to people who just want to tell them good things rather than to tell them the truth. And so that could be not only true for for people in leadership, but it could be true for every single one of us. As we seek counsel everywhere else than through Christian avenues, or maybe even seeking to go to places and to churches maybe even and gravitate toward a church that you might not be confronted by your sinfulness. When people just tell you that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, there will be times where you don't really want to dig into God's Word to find the answers, but you'd rather just dig into a, a self-help and motivation book to, to tell you the way to go. Dear congregation, at the end of the day, they, they will come up empty. Unless we find our answers in the truth of God's Word and in good and godly counsel, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't find any help from any of the soothsayers or the Chaldeans or the magicians, and, 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 and neither will you. And so finally he calls for Daniel. And notice how in parentheses he says, the one whom I've given the name Belteshazzar, after, after my gods. And yet the spirit of the holy God, or you could also translate it, the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Whichever way you want to take it, it really doesn't make a difference at the end of the day. If it was before, if Nebuchadnezzar was thinking about before he was converted and he was still in his old worldview, then indeed he'd probably be saying something like, yes, the spirit of the holy gods are in you. Because he would be pantheist. But if, he, if he's saying it from a converted standpoint here, and, and, and he's saying it in reflection now as the one who believes in the holy God, then he could be saying it in a sense that the spirit of the holy God is in you. Either way, it doesn't matter. Nebuchadnezzar came to understand, indeed, that he was the holy God, and Daniel had the spirit of the holy God. But Nebuchadnezzar also realizes that Daniel's not really that troubled by telling him the truth. Because he knows that indeed that truth will set him free. And so, so Nebuchadnezzar's free also to give him the, inter, the, the dream itself. And this dream, we could call it the tree decree. It's about a tree. It's about a tree that has, has risen up and grown and, and it, its branches are are. are our habitations and food and, and everything else for all of the people. And here in, in Babylonian literature, the king is, is, is pictured in such a way, and God comes in his dream 
to show this large tree that's, that's to provide shade and shelter and food and security for all. And he really is using, he's really using the common language of the Babylonians. And he sees this splendid tree, this huge tree, this massive tree that all can see and all can receive benefit from. Well, the wise men should have easily been able to interpret this dream. Certainly. This would have been right up their alley. This would have been right out of their own literature. But the problem is for them is the dream doesn't stop there. The dream doesn't stop with this glorious vision of who Nebuchadnezzar has become. And the dream goes on. As Nebuchadnezzar says, I saw in the vision of my head while on my bed that there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit, and let the beast get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's just faced with a tornado, a hurricane, one that would topple the biggest of trees, strip its branches, strip its leaves, strip its fruit, and the beasts of the field would scatter away from it. And the birds would no longer have places in its branches. This is a disaster. This is what troubled Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm sure troubled his sorcerers and magicians when they would come to interpret it. This was a troubling thing. But this dream goes on to talk about this stump and the roots that were left and how, how it was bound with band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field and the dew would drop on it. And, and, and now it changes not from a tree, but to a man. He says, And let him graze with the beast on the grass of the field. Let his heart be changed from that of a man and let him be given the heart of a beast. And now it changes even from a man to a beast. And let seven times pass over him. What in the world is going on? Nebuchadnezzar realizes this is a decree, a tree decree, that is turned to man, and then that man turns to a beast. This cannot be good news. I don't even want Daniel to tell me the interpretation of this one. And yet, he must have Daniel. He needs an interpretation. He needs to know the truth of it. Especially when he looks at the dream's purpose that we find in verse 17. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Give it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. He needs to understand because this purpose, this purpose is confronting Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he rules over all of his life. He rules over all of his kingdom. He is in charge. And this is telling him he's not in charge. 
Nebuchadnezzar, you don't rule. The living God rules. God's kingdom doesn't depend on you, Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember that little stone from chapter 2 that crashed this, this huge image down to the ground? So this has to have some thoughts bringing back to that. Here this tree has fallen. This is, this is terrible. This has got to mean something like the proud are humbled. And Nebuchadnezzar needs to know this purpose and the interpretation of it. And here's God. It's all by the grace of God confronting Nebuchadnezzar, confronting him through this dream. And really, really, he's confronting every one of us. He's confronting every one of us, especially, especially as we turn to our third point. As God graciously reveals that heaven rules through Daniel's interpretation and its message. Here he brings Daniel in. In verse 18, he says, This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Daniel, it's going to take a Daniel who's filled also with grace, a Daniel who's filled with courage, a Daniel who's filled with faithfulness in order to interpret this and give a faithful message out of this dream. But notice, notice Daniel here. As we turn to verse 19, we recognize that Daniel had a special affection for King Nebuchadnezzar. As Daniel... He was astonished. He was astonished at this dream. His thoughts were also troubled in him. So the king spoke to him and said to him, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. King Nebuchadnezzar, despite you taking me away from my homeland, despite you changing my name to the name after your gods, despite taking the temple ornaments that, that were in the temple that I worshipped my God in and putting them before your idols, despite throwing my friends into a fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, I pray that this interpretation, that this dream does not come true in your life and, and that it would even be upon your enemies. Nebuchadnezzar, this, this is a shocking interpretation. Daniel has to be filled with grace and courage and faithfulness in order to deliver such an interpretation and a message that indeed heaven rules. Because he says, and he begins the interpretation in verse 20 with these words, the tree that you saw, I grew up, whose leaves were lovely, fruit abundant, food for all, the beasts of the field dwelt under it, the birds of heaven had their home in it. He says to him, King, that is you. That is you. You have grown up and become strong. And your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Now Daniel, 
if he would have stopped there, didn't have to interpret the rest, he didn't really have a whole lot to be afraid of. He would have played right into Nebuchadnezzar's big ego. Oh, certainly that's true. Certainly that's true. I, I'm, the, I'm the biggest, the tallest. Everyone in the world can see me. Who, Everyone in the world knows me. And I provide for everyone in the world. Certainly. Certainly I rule over all things. That would have been okay. But where it gets sticky is the next part. Inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming from heaven, chop down and destroy it, and, and, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times passed over him. This interpretation, O king, is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Well, Daniel, this is a strong message. And yet, it's a gracious message. It's a gracious message to Nebuchadnezzar of the patience and the long-suffering character of God who yet has given him a time. He's given him this whole kingdom. He's made him like this tree. It's God who has made him strong. But now, king, the decree has come that you will be humbled. And this is God's gracious hand in Nebuchadnezzar's life. You say, well, how is that gracious? Well, God could have let Nebuchadnezzar continue going. And his pride, boastful, malicious, arrogant character. Worshipping his own gods. But God stops him in this dream miraculously comes to him in this dream, troubles him in this dream, calls for Daniel to interpret this dream. And Daniel comes not only with the interpretation that indeed heaven rules, but he applies it unto Nebuchadnezzar faithfully, admonishing him. He says, O king, The living God will save your kingdom for you and restore you to your kingdom once you acknowledge that heaven, the Most High God, He rules. And He wants to bring a very personal application to Him as He comes to Him in verse 27 and says, Therefore, O King, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off from your sins. By being righteous in your sins, by showing mercy to the poor. He's he's giving a a whole theology of repentance here in in just verse 27. What what is this repentance that that Daniel is admonishing Nebuchadnezzar to? It's, It's real repentance. It's genuine repentance. Not just an acknowledgement that yes, indeed, your God is the great God. But an acknowledgement that I am a sinner, that I am nothing before God. 
And that the Most High God, He is the one who rules over all the kingdoms of the earth. He is the one who's in charge. I need to give all glory and honor to Him. I need to turn away from being this proud, boastful man and humble myself before God. And that means, and also in our lives, that repentance needs to come. And that repentance doesn't doesn't mean that I'm just to say I'm sorry. Or it's not just turning away from sin for self-preservation. Maybe God will also extend my kingdom and, and my influence and my prosperity if I turn away from certain sins. No, that's not what, what this is saying. It's not a repentance to escape consequences, but rather a repentance that includes that I feel a contrition in my heart that I've offended the Most High God, the One who rules over all the kingdoms of men. Who rules over everything. It means dealing honestly with sin. It means calling sin for what it is, an offense to God, and not passing away sin, shoving it away, or justifying it or making it sound acceptable like everyone sins. It's, it's to truly confess our sins. It's to truly grieve over our sins. And it's to truly break from our sins. To cut them off and to pursue a life of holy living. He doesn't say, Nebuchadnezzar, if you just stop doing the bad things, then you'll be okay. No, Nebuchadnezzar, you must stop doing the bad things and start doing the right things. That's true repentance. That's why he's called to show mercy to the poor, to to care for those who are helpless. In all of his power and influence, how many people didn't he just blow down like the tree himself will be blown down in a moment? Now, we aren't told what Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel after this. We aren't told how Nebuchadnezzar even reacts to Daniel's interpretation. We know from the next verses that follow, and we'll see next week, that he's given a whole year to repent. We don't have any insight into what he's done in that year. But we do know that this comes true. But for now, we need to hear these words ourselves. Because it's not only a message for Nebuchadnezzar, but it's a message for each one of us. Because each one of us will also have the axe laid on the root of the trees, as John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 3 and also Matthew chapter 3. That even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. And therefore every tree which does not bear forth good fruit, it will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is a message for every single one of us. The interpretation of this dream is for you and for me. Do we, do you and I acknowledge that heaven rules? Rules over all things. Rules over my life on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, all the way through Sunday. 
every single day, every single moment, every single influence in my life, every single level of government, every single church, every single business, every single school. Heaven rules. God is in control of it all. And we need to recognize that unless we acknowledge that, we are proud people. Proud people. If it's about my house and my business and my family and my school and and my education and whatever it would be, then it's all about me and my kingdom. But the acts will be laid on the root of the tree and day by day it'll pick away at it and this tree will tumble and no matter how big it is. Maybe it's a small tree. Maybe it's a huge tree like her in the cemetery there. The trees will fall. Every single one of us. Which way will we fall? To the north or to the south? Will we fall as those who, who have repented? who've come to know that the Most High God rules from heaven. This isn't a a sermon to, to necessarily scare you so you would run away from God. But it's a sermon to bring us to God. Because he is patient. He is long-suffering. He is gracious. But he cannot deal with sin. Sin needs to be dealt with before He will receive us in mercy. Do we know who our God is? Do we know what it costs the Lord Jesus Christ to to pay the price of our sins? God gave His only begotten Son to be crucified. A cursed death. He had to be cut down from the land of the living so that you and I could be safely sheltered under His tree. A tree that will never fall down. Never crash down. But it will give food and security forever and forever. Would we turn to Him today? And if you turn to him already, turn to him again and again and again and confess how, how, how so often in your own heart you become so proud and, and you don't do the right things. You don't live righteously. Come to him with confessing those sins and, and, and cast yourself on his mercy. He is a compassionate God, a gracious God. He even deals graciously with the Nebuchadnezzar in this world. Will he not deal graciously with you? A sinner who comes to him, he says he will in no wise cast out. I have dreamed a dream, says Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to share with you the signs and wonders of God. He has come and he has laid his axe at the root of my tree, and I have fallen. But I want to tell you, it was the best fall that I ever had. Because there I fell into the arms of God as a beast before him. Nothing. Empty of myself. 
And there I found the fullness of who God is, the Most High, who rules over all things. May you find Him also today. Because we have far more than a dream. We have the very Word of God and the truths contained in it. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we acknowledge that we too, like Nebuchadnezzar, are proud and arrogant and, and think that we've built up kingdoms for ourselves and, and we don't take your truth seriously. We, we, we prefer to even find other counsel that, that would fit our own heart and our own heart's desire. Will Lord come crashing also into our bedrooms? Make us restless at night so that we can't live until we find our only hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For indeed, the axe will be laid at the root of each one of our trees, each one of our lives. Oh, do we bear forth good fruit, O Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would work powerfully by your Spirit to, to cause us to bear the type of fruit that's acceptable in your sight, that we would not be cut down and cast into the fire. Hear our prayer and go with us for the glory, for the sake of your glory. And to the extension of your kingdom, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.